0: Good morning, 3rd Street. Good morning. Hey, happy Father's Day. It's a double holiday. Y'all know that? Did y'all know that? Four people knew that. Today's a double holiday. So when when I say happy Father's Day, I also need to say happy Liberation Day. Happy Juneteenth. It's a double holiday. So I feel like Y'all expecting me to bring it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately for me, the Lord's grace is sufficient. But before I get into it, I just want to say what an honor and privilege it is for me to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor at Third Street Community Church. And my favorite part of my job is being here On every occasion, not just occasions like this one, to bring forth the word of our Lord. I want to say a very special Happy Father's Day to those who have uh, biological children that they are raising. I want to say a Happy Father's Day to those who have uh, have not been able to participate in the raising of a biological child. But thank God that his grace is sufficient for us because as image bearers, we can, we can offer the attributes of a father in heaven and we can father those who even aren't our own biologically. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Happy Father's Day to those of you who have lost a father, who never knew a father. Thank God that we have a father in heaven whose grace is sufficient for us. Happy Father's Day to those with dope fathers who offered a good example to imitate. Happy Father's Day to you all. And happy Liberation Day to our community. Happy fa- Juneteenth, if you will. You know, it's only been a year since it was signed into getting acknowledged as a federal holiday. So some of you might not know that Juneteenth is the day that we acknowledge June 19th. 1865 is the day that word finally made it to the slaves in Texas about their freedom. It wasn't that there weren't whispers. It wasn't that there weren't rumors. And it definitely wasn't that there weren't people anxiously awaiting a silhouette on the horizon to come and free them. It was that in order for people to be free, you had to have troops, you had to have soldiers that were willing to go into an area and enforce it, to enforce freedom. So on June 19th, 1865, though it was two full years after the Emancipation Proclamation, we celebrate the day that Union troops arrived in Texas to actually enforce the freedom from slavery and the bondage to any man according to the way that you look. That's why we celebrate Liberation Day. It's why we celebrate Juneteenth. And so in light of liberation, in light of freedom, and in light of what we went through last week with the conversion of Saul, more commonly now known as the Apostle Paul, it only seemed appropriate that we take time away from any series, we take time away from connecting to anything else, and we speak specific to today. So if you would, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Second Corinthians, Written by the Apostle Paul, we're going to join each other in the third chapter. And we're just going to read three verses today. I don't want you to feel gypped. I don't want you to feel like I'm cheating you by only reading three verses, but I promise you, the Spirit has plenty to offer on just these three verses. Second Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse 16 till the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, or as my KJV readers will say, there is liberty. Amen. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. A couple weeks ago, um, our staff got an opportunity, an opportunity that we really only get once a year. To uh, to get away for about thirty six hours, it's not that we're running from y'all, it's that y'all put us through a lot, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. I just know somebody got offended by that, and I feel bad. But man, I'm with you. Um, but we, we take time as a staff to get away. We take time as a staff to uh, to be able to uh, recalibrate, realign, hear from the Lord together. Uh, we were joined by uh, our sister churches in Akron and Cincinnati, Citizens Akron and Akron, Ohio, and 21st Century Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, yes, I know you caught me. I did just refer to Cincinnati as Ohio. Um, I haven't seen the light. I just wanted to be nice in case they listened to this recording. Um, y'all know I think it's Kentucky, but we got away for 36 hours, um, and I had a blast. I can't speak for anybody else on our team, but I had a blast. Um, and we took we took with us uh, one individual that, that many of you know, uh, Rob Browning. We took Rob with us, and Rob's specific purpose, specific purpose on this trip was um, to take care of all of the games and getting to know you stuff, right? I know that might seem shocking to you that that's not just so natural to me that I would just be able to come up with games and and nice getting to know you stuff on the spot. I know it might seem weird, but but it is really, it is really left-handed for me. Um, and so I was like, you know what? We'll take Rob, because Rob is good at it. Rob was like an initiative games major in college. I don't think that that's actually a thing, but he did take advanced backpacking, so... Um, So, so Rob is taking care of all the games that we as a team are doing on this trip and he had us play this one game that is so stupid but literally just keeps on giving like every time I've talked to somebody on the retreat since the retreat they have a new perspective on life because of this stupid game That we played. And I was reminded of it as I prepared this week. Maybe because the spirit laid it on my heart. Or maybe because Rob keeps leaving these ducks all over the building for me to find. But it was a game where he set out an obstacle course on the floor. And the object was to get to the other side of the room, was to guide your partner... I should say, to the other side of the room to grab one of these stupid ducks. The only trick was the person that you were guiding couldn't see anything. These fancy swim goggles with duct tape over them Make it impossible to see anything. I can't see a thing. So KT was my partner. Me and KT are crazy competitive. Rob didn't say that the first one to get it wins, but we just intuited that the first one to get it wins. And so I sent KT out into the field and I called out instructions for him to follow. And he didn't listen very well. He kept, here's the thing, I seriously can't see a thing. He kept looking down as if, like, he was going to be able to, like, see something, right? But you're not. You got to listen to me, right? But what was happening was people were getting out there, and if you stepped on something, you had to start all the way over. And so it was just complete and utter chaos the whole time because you've got, like, I don't know what it was. It was like eight people yelling from the sidelines. And you've got like eight people blindly trying to make it through this maze to get a, to get a duck. To get a duck and to get it all the way back. And it was complete and utter chaos. Chaos. <laughs> and it hit me as I was preparing this week. What if Rob would have said, while the blindfolded were in the middle of the field, what if Rob would have said, if you find your partner, yeah. he can take the goggles off of you? Wow. Would you still look for the duck? would you look for your partner so you'd be able to see it's interesting right what would you start looking for if he said okay we're gonna change the rules because he likes to do that don't play games with him he cheats (laughs) if in the middle of the game he said if you can find your partner he'll take off the goggles would you be like nah I got it and keep trying Or would you stop what you were doing, immediately start listening more carefully, and try to find your partner so that you could see? We talked about it last week, but as Paul himself became reliant on the Christ that he once persecuted, as he became reliant on Christ, his sight was restored and he was able to see more clearly. So I feel like it's only appropriate that we see Paul talking here in 2 Corinthians about clear sight and freedom. He would know, wouldn't he? In a letter that he writes to the church in Corinth, it's appropriate that the imagery he uses is of clear sight. Now you'd have to read the full chapter, and I would actually encourage you to read the whole book, obviously, to get the full context of what verse 16 means when it talks about the veil right? But I need to get somewhere real specific this morning, so I need you to give me a little bit of grace and some forgiveness, and let me just give you the gist. The gist of what Paul is talking about when he talks about the veil is he's talking about a system. He's talking about a lo- a set of laws. He's talking about a structure that kept people separate from God. He's talking about Uh, a, A literal curtain that you couldn't go beyond because on the other side was the glory of God and you weren't fit for that. He's referring to the fact that people cannot possibly measure up to the fullness of God's law, who God is or what God's about all throughout the Old Testament. God would try in many ways to bridge the gap between himself and his people. And while his people would enjoy the benefits of said gap being bridged, they would only further distance themselves. But now, Paul writes, in light of Christ, this word is actually meant to be an encouragement. Because now... When people, verse 16 says, turn their hearts to the Lord, the veil is lifted. When people turn their hearts to the Lord, whatever it is that stands between you and God is eliminated. God moves it, it's not there anymore. It doesn't matter how far off you are, it matters the direction that your heart is pointing. He says the good news is that this separation between humanity and God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is removed. And yet, the very reason he writes this is because people still choose to live their lives separated from God. Their years of being separate from God has caused their hearts to be hardened toward the things of God, towards any understanding of God. In other words, through Jesus, God has made himself accessible. You can know God. You can experience God. You can hear God's truth. You can receive his grace and mercy. You can do it all through Jesus. But people are choosing to stay ignorant or allowing people around them to keep them ignorant. I thoroughly enjoyed my time in our summer study this week. Uh, I get to be a part of the Thursday night summer study that just started this week um, that we're doing called Real Talk About Race. And as Dele and Onia guide us through the curriculum, Real Talk About Race, done by the Loving Unity Project, as we go through that together, there was this concept that came up in our group that Dele and Onia brought up. They call it the epistemology of ignorance. Church, is anyone with me this morning? Say the epistemology epistemology. of ignorance. Now, I ain't going to act like I didn't Google it. Not the whole thing, because I knew they were going to explain it to me, but specifically the word epistemology. Come again? But essentially, the epistemology of ignorance... Is knowledge that is produced with the intent of not knowing. In other words, I don't know the answer and I don't have to know the answer. Therefore, if I don't know the answer, I don't have to do anything about whatever the answer is. If I choose to ignore it, if I choose to act as if it's not there, I have no respons- responsibility towards whatever that thing is. I don't know if you can see very obviously where I'm going with this. I believe that Paul would say it to the church in Corinth this way. He would say that if I don't go beyond the veil, if I don't peek beyond the veil at God's glory, then I don't need to worry about living in light of whatever it is beyond the veil. If I don't take time to seek God's glory, I don't need to worry about living in light of God's glory. If I don't hear what God has to say about something, I don't have to worry about changing my life in accordance to what I just heard him say. Let me make a, maybe a little bit more blatant example. It's the way that our society, by and large, it's the way that our country for years has treated racism. It's Juneteenth. You know I had to step on your toes. It's the way that we've chosen to treat racism. If I don't see it, if I choose to ignore it, if I decide to wait on the facts so I don't have to make up my mind, then I don't have to do anything about the truth that's beyond my own human sight, my own human experience, my own town, my own upbringing. My own personal perspective formed entirely by my favorite news outlet. I don't have to do anything if I don't open my eyes to it. We do the same thing about a lot of things. You can pick any social issue. Any social issue you want, you want. And let's be honest about where we're at as a people. We're not looking to God. We're not peeking beyond the veil. We're looking to politicians. We're looking to celebrities. We're looking to athletes. We're looking to the generations before us. But we're not looking to God. We're not asking God to shed light. Oh, it's easy for me to talk about broader society. Let me talk about you specifically. It's the way that we think about our money. If I don't try to gain godly godly perspective on the way that God would have me steward my finances, then I don't have a responsibility to steward my finances well. If I just don't let God see my bank account because my two-way authenticity Google whatever password protects it from the Almighty, then I don't have a responsibility to do something about the fact that I ain't doing nothing (laughs) about being a good steward. If I don't ask God his perspective of a godly marriage, if I don't ask God his perspective of godly parenting, then I don't need to feel a responsibility to be a godly husband or a godly father. If I don't ask, I didn't ask you to tell me that. I'm not doing nothing. If I don't ask God's perspective on sex, if I don't ask God's perspective on relationships, then do I have the responsibility to being sexually pure or to having a godly relationship? Paul says, when you turn your heart to the Lord, yes, sir. he removes the veil. Yes. But can I just call it out? We don't want to remove the veil. Yes. We don't want to go there. Because we might find out something about ourselves, about our loved ones that just might not be godly. Removing the veil can be scary. My... Old Testament scholars will tell you that before Jesus, you know what happened if you peek behind that veil? You know what happened to you? Gone. Gone. Dead. Evaporated. In the upside down. You're out. Because God's glory is so great. Because what God has is so much better than what this world has to offer. That just getting the tiniest little peak, we couldn't stand it. We couldn't exist knowing it. We had to cease to exist. And I think that we still think that that's going to happen to us. That if we go to God, that if we we go to him with whatever it is that's separating us, that he's just going to... Send us to the upside down. That he's going to destroy us with how glorious he is because of how broken and ignorant we are. But folks, I got good news this morning. See, the gospel tells us that when Jesus was crucified, upon breathing his last breath, there was a literal veil in the temple said to be the dwelling place of God that tore in half. It's not there no more. Hebrews 10 tells us, now that the blood of Christ has atoned for our sinfulness and the Holy Spirit has become our advocate, now we can come to the Lord and draw near to Him. Paul makes it crystal clear in verse 17. What it is that we receive when we turn to the Lord. Turn our hearts to the Lord and the veil is removed. There you're in the presence of the Spirit. And what do we receive from the Spirit of the Lord? It's not a trick question. Say it with your chest. Say it like God put breath in your lungs. It's freedom. It's not condemnation. It's not death. It's not a shame on you. It's not a stern finger poking you right in the forehead. What exists in the spirit of the Lord? Freedom. Freedom. Not immediate condemnation or disintegration in light of our shoddy and shadiness. But when someone turns their heart to the Lord, as the Lord calls his people to himself, what's on his heart to offer is freedom. How much of your perspective of your heavenly father would change if you knew that what he had on his mind for you was freedom? Yes. That's it. That's it. See, the reality is we live in a world like Galveston, Texas in the 1860s where the message has already gone forth that we are set free. But we are choosing because no one around us is going to enforce it we're choosing to remain in bondage or we're choosing to, to stay in place and just wonder about what freedom might be like. The world around us doesn't want us to know. They don't want us to know. Every day our society produces knowledge and information to keep us in the dark. At the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist up here, this is just reality that the world that our enemy controls wants to keep us in our present bondage, wants to keep us in our present circumstances. And I think it's so far common for us, we fear what we don't know. So we fear what's beyond the veil, we fear what would happen if God knew. We fear what's going to happen if I admit this to God. I fear what's going to happen if I let my godly friends in on what's happening. I fear if I ask the Lord his perspective on something, what he's going to come back at me with. What kind of stupid question is that? We're so afraid. We're so paralyzed by our fear of what's beyond the veil that we just decide it's best to continue to live in ignorance. But Paul makes it plain in chapter 3. When we turn to the Lord and go beyond the veil, freedom is for us on the other side. It's freedom from our bondage. It's freedom from the guilt that we've been carrying. It's freedom from the penalty that we're so deathly afraid of. It's freedom from fear itself. It's freedom yeah. from death as we'll live in eternity. That's right. The good news that the enemy desperately does not want you to know is that what the Lord has in mind for you is freedom. Yeah, that's God wants us to turn to him. So that we can be free. Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 18 saying that now that we all see it. Now that we all have decided to go beyond the veil. And to experience the freedom and the glory of God that is offered in Jesus Christ and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we all have decided to go there we are being transformed. We're changing. Things are shifting in our hearts. As the Holy Spirit transforms our lives, the Apostle Paul says our lives are looking more and more like they were intended to in the Garden of Eden. What I mean by that is he keeps going back to this imagery of Moses. He keeps going back to this imagery throughout the chapter of Moses and Because look what happened when Moses turned to the Lord. Look what happened when Moses went beyond his speech impediment. Look what happened when Moses went beyond his own insecurities of leadership. Look what happened when Moses went beyond the fact that, that ethnically he identified with one people, but, but, but his upbringing was with a whole other people, and now those two people don't get along. Look at what happened when Moses decided to gain godly perspective on those things. What happened to Moses? He was set free, was he not? Yes, and what happened as a result of Moses' freedom? Millions of people were freed from slavery. Not only was Moses freed from his own circumstance, but as a result of his path being made clear, millions of others were set free from their bondage as well. As a result of the Spirit's presence in our lives, our moral character is being transformed, our knowledge is being transformed. Our abilities are being transformed. Our leadership, our perspective, as it continues, as transformation continues, there is this coming together. There's this building together that happens alongside other believers that are moving forward. We become this body. We become this thing that exists. And as it moves forward together, it leaves in its path not a path of destruction, but a path of liberation a path of people and places and communities being set free. In its path are restored people. In its path are restored purposes. In its path are restored places. See, let's not forget that the civil rights movement was not led by a politician or a celebrity. Let's not forget that the civil rights movement of the 1960s was led by a minister of the gospel, somebody whose whole life had been changed by the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly in his free thinking, he was able to see clearly and speak clearly on behalf of God what needed to change in our society. Let's not forget that. See what I'm saying, church, is that is that the talents that we have been given. Yes. See, what I'm saying is that the capacity that we have for knowledge, that our experience, etc., all of that was given to us by God. Yes. And as we begin to turn our hearts to the Lord, the Lord begins to use those things that He gave us in the first place for a more appropriate fulfillment of those things the way that he would have had it if we were still in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) God would have it that we would turn our hearts towards him and that we would go beyond the veil so that he can unlock through the Spirit the full potential that he designed within us way before we were even a thought God would have it God would have it that as we allow his spirit to take root in our lives yes, and as we begin to unlock the full potential of what he made that that we will become instruments of love and freedom, that we would join together with others who want to be on that path and we would leave behind us a people that are actually unified, a people that are actually healed and bonded together under the one banner that's actually able to unite us all and that's the banner of the family of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get out your way. I promise you. I promise you I am. I'm done. But one more thing. If we haven't already, we've got to start today. We've got to start today turning our hearts to the Lord in all areas. What is that area? What's the veil that you've kept up? What's the veil that you've kept up in your own life? that's created separation between you and God? What's the veil that you don't wanna look beyond because you're fearful of what may be on the other side, but the encouragement and the word that you need to hear this morning is that what's on the other side is healing. What's on the other side is restoration. What's on the other side is liberation from bondage. Where do you need to start today to let God take down a veil he intended to rip in half 2,000 years ago? We've got to begin today turning our hearts to the Lord so that we no longer allow ourselves to be ignorant. We've got to seek the Lord and experience the freedom he has for us. And then once we've gotten to that point, we can no longer ignore the strongholds, the enemy, once had on us because he still has those things on the people around us. Back to the epistemology of ignorance, right? The idea that now we know, now that the veil has been removed, we are able to recognize all of the ways that it's still very much steel beam-like pillars in our communities, and those have got to start coming down. And as you go, as you go, stay under the Lord's protection. Because as He begins to transform us, we will begin to fulfill the will of the Lord to set others free. The Lord has freedom in mind. The Lord has freedom in mind for you. The Lord has freedom in mind. For your family, for your neighborhood, for your community. The Lord has freedom in mind for all that is around us. But to embody this good news to our community, to be the church that embodies this good news to the city, each of us individually and collectively have to be willing to go beyond the veil. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your infinite creativity and the plan that you have intricately designed and woven into our lives. God, we thank you That you see clearly the path and the obstacles that are in front of us. And God, we thank you that you send to us an advocate in the way of your Holy Spirit to help guide us. Lord, we desperately want our lives in every space that we're in to reflect the kingdom. We desperately want for your truth and freedom to be what springs readily as a natural byproduct of the way that we live. And so, Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the veils that we've kept around our hearts. We pray for forgiveness, for the things that we have not yet gone beyond to see, because we're afraid of what holy perspective lies beyond. And so Lord, today we ask that your spirit would give us the comfort of knowing that while what's beyond the veil may be hard to hear, hard to accept nearly impossible to process. What you have for us in mind is freedom. It's liberation. The ability to take a deep breath and not feel the heavy weight of sin on our chest when we exhale. Lord, we ask you for this in the name of Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.